good afternoon, friends. It's a pleasure to have uh, with us uh, Dr. Rajiv Malhotra. In fact, he had addressed us all last year at, as the keynote speaker at the Valley of Earth. And it's a great honor for us that he's today talking to us about his new book, which is Five Battlegrounds. And we are delighted uh, that this is the first festival where this book will be, will be discussed because it's just going to come. And we are very privileged uh, that, that we have the honor of being the first literature festival in the world uh, to have a discussion on this book. Thank you very much for giving us this honor, uh, Mr. Malhotra. Uh, now, you know, uh, a brief introduction. Uh, he's an alumnus of St. Columbus, St. Stephen's, went to America in 1971, has worked across uh, the across various sectors, especially the, the, the computer IT fields. And then he set up the Infinity Foundation because he wanted to connect uh, the Indic thought, Indic philosophy, and give it in a manner in which the West would understand it and in a manner in which we can continue our dialogues in a manner which are equal. And that's why his first book was Being Different. He's written a series of books, including Sanskrit Non-Translatable, which, and I often quote uh, from those books in my lectures. It's really wonderful, and I'm sure uh, many of you would have read more, uh, many of you will have been inspired to read more of Rajiv Malhotra after our discussion today. Uh, so let me start uh, by asking uh, you, uh, Rajiv, that, Last year, you had delivered the uh, keynote address and its impact on India. And now you've turned this into a book. Uh, can you, you know, tell us about uh, the main uh, thesis or the main hypothesis on which you've uh, developed this book? Yes. Well, thank you very much for having me back. Uh, last year, I gave the first ever public address on the subject of the artificial intelligence impact on society. Uh, and that was in 2019 at your uh, your conference, which uh, your literary festival. Uh, and you know, it's a book I've been working on for several years. My original background is in physics and computer science. As a computer scientist, my subject was artificial intelligence. But 50 years ago, it was a very embryonic field, not like it is today. I've kept a intellectual interest. I'm not uh, actively involved in, in in practicing artificial intelligence. I'm more concerned about its social implications, which are considerable. So I put all this together into this new book, uh, the you know artificial intelligence and the future of power, because I think it will affect power in a big way. So there are five battlegrounds. Uh, one is the economic power, industry, jobs, that uh, you know education, that whole side uh, is going to be disrupted. There'll be new haves and have-nots. Uh, those who cannot keep up with it will be left behind. Those who are into this new AI-oriented things will leapfrog ahead. The second battleground is uh, geopolitics. Uh, geopolitics is uh, the battleground where uh, China is dominating. There's a lot of uh, US-China debates and fights going on, and I, my book discusses that. And the question is, where is India? And is India in trouble? And in some ways, it is left behind. Uh, the third battleground is psychology. Uh, your your agency, who controls your choices, is the social media making us dumber while the machines are getting smarter and the machines are able to influence our thinking, our choice making, not only what we buy, but how we vote, uh, you know, what movie we watch, things like that. More and more behavior is being controlled by machines and people are becoming dependent on them. So I, I refer to them as Google Devata, Facebook Devata. These are the new Devatas that we all sort of bow down to, and we want to be in the good books of these social media type of uh, platforms so that we feel empowered, we feel prestigious and all that. 
that's the third one the fourth battleground is you know loss of selfhood the, the battle for selfhood because there is an artificial uh, in, intelligence virtual reality augmented reality and implants implants in the brain coming mm-hmm. which is going to in, which is going to give us the desires the joys the the sorrows so it will be artificial joys artificial desires artificial sorrows artificial uh, uh, artificial uh, high artificial uh, sense of enlightenment even some artificial enlightenment which is not really authentic so we're becoming kind of artificial people so as we become more artificial people what does it do to us as a you know, real the a real spiritual being uh, we are we becoming more matter more materialistic more biological and silicon uh, that's the fourth battlefield the fifth one is what will all this do to india and that's the part two of the book part one is the first four battlefields part two is the uh, battle for india and i'm not uh, take i'm not giving an easy uh, you know happy story i'm giving challenges that india must face these are serious challenges uh, what, how the military has to face the economy has to face the education ministry has to face uh, you know in every dip- dim- uh, dimension that i have looked at india is 5 to 10 years behind us and china and this china taking over ai and using ai to weaponize itself is going to ex- be exported into pakistan so china china will use foot foot soldiers of pakistan pakistan will become more and more dependent and a digital colony of china China has already put in a whole lot of uh, surveillance systems in Pakistan along that corridor they have and they are doing facial recognition and they're keeping track of what where things are go moving what's going on in Pakistan China has already done that with Africa turned it into a virtual colony many countries like Zimbabwe so China is using AI and surveillance and psychological manipulation information manipulation as a way to kind of colonize various countries Pakistan being a primary uh, one of the primary ones this is worrisome for india and i did not find enough indians thinking about it i did not find uh, political people or i think the the segment of indians that are most in tune with my concerns are the military people i think they really understand all this but i think that the civilian side academic people industry people economists i'm not sure they really take the seriousness that ai deserves so that's what this book is about no thank you very much but i must uh, mention here that uh, uh, i think the 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 ias and the senior levels in the government uh, some of my colleagues especially in the tamil nadu e governance agency uh, and also in madhya pradesh and in uh, uttarakhand and in several states uh, and also the ego platform the the national ego mission they are looking at ai uh, maybe you not been very vocal about it Uh, but uh, especially in terms of blockchain and especially in terms of now the crisis that we had uh, about you know the migration of people so we are now this challenge itself has got us to think of this but but don't uh, think that i'm only always defending the government you are right that there are several challenges that we face and uh, in fact uh, you could also throw some light on 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 how this particular disruption uh, of ai is going to be different from uh, Uh, the previous disruption that we've had whenever there's been a change in technology so so how is this ai uh, disruption going to be different both in terms of scale in terms of scope uh, and in terms of the very conception of it now that's a very important point uh, people often cite and i disagree with that view that in the previous uh, you know industrial revolutions uh, the industry created more jobs than it destroyed 
So when people move from farms to factories, they lost the farming jobs, but the factories created more jobs. That is true. It all happened. And therefore, they're saying in AI, we shouldn't worry because it'll create more jobs. I think we should worry for the following reason. When the Industrial Revolution happened in England, the jobs created were in England. The jobs lost were in India. We became a colony as a result of the Industrial Revolution. So the Industrial Revolution impact was unequal. It made the, some people very strong, like in Britain, and it made the people of India dependent and colonized. So even though AI will have a big impact, it may not be, the, it will not be an equal impact. Some people will become digital colonizers and some people will become digital colonies. So the impact will be there, even though new jobs are created, they will not be in the same place as the jobs that are lost. Take driverless cars. Driverless cars may create, uh, you know, some jobs for Tesla factory in China, they have factory in US. But what about the 20, 30, 40 million drivers all over the world who lose their jobs? The loss of jobs will be all over the place. The new jobs created will be in a concentrated area. So Bangalore may create jobs because of AI, but maybe Bihar and Orissa and UP, a lot of these other places will lose jobs. So the, the asymmetric and unequal impact will create social disruption. Also, uh, when you look at previous revolutions, the revolution happened over multiple generations. The, the industrial revolution, uh, you know, people in the farms uh, were no, it was no longer viable to be a farmer because there were machines taking over and the son of that farmer would get a job in a factory. But it happened slowly so that the old farmer could continue being a farmer for the rest of his life. It's the next generation that got, the, got into the factory. In the case of AI, if you are 30-something, 40-something, the disruption is so quick that if you if you lost your job, uh, you know, you are still in the middle of your career. It's not that it will take 10 years to make the job obsolete. It will happen overnight. Like take, take a look at Uber, how quickly it de destroyed, uh, you know, taxi business in many countries. Take a look at iTunes. It destroyed the whole record industry. Uh, take a look at uh, self-publishing and online publishing and, uh, and Amazon. Uh, it destroyed retail industry. So the, the disruption that AI is bringing is so fast that people who are caught in the old economy in the middle of their careers, uh, are, are, it, they don't have the luxury to say, well, my son will benefit from this new technology, but for me, I will continue life as usual. What happens to the people in the middle career who suddenly are disrupted? So I can go on, but in my book, I argue that the AI technology, because of its scale, because of its speed, uh, because just the, the way it, it is so powerful, uh, is not going to be uh, an easy thing to manage like the previous industrial revolutions were. Uh, well, uh, let me just give you uh, a different viewpoint. Uh, take the case of literature festivals or, or publishing industry. You know, I find that, of course, there are lots and lots of self-published authors who are coming up. But that is not changing the, uh, the, the model of, uh, of the established book industry because there's a professional side to it and there's an amateur side to it. I mean, for instance, like, you know, I mean, the, the publishers that we deal with, Rupa, Hachette, you know, HarperCollins and Penguins of the World, Juggernauts, nothing is happening to them. Yes, of course, a lot of others are also coming up. So I, I don't know whether it will have this impact, but that's, of course, a matter of debate. And, and uh, are, are, uh, but, but you do make a point. Uh, but let, let's see how it turns out. Uh, so uh, can you give me, because I am very upbeat about, about India and about our ability to do things, maybe because I only listen to the positive news around me. And, uh, you know, you being a bit distant, you can look at things more critically and more analytically. 
so can you give me some specific examples of what you think is wrong with our AI policy? You know, India, Indians are among the largest group of people who are AI experts around the world. But they're not mm. working for India. You go around the world, whether it's the U.S. defense contractors, whether it's private sector, whether it's academics, even Chinese companies, uh, European companies, you'll find Indians at the top in so many places. But India has not been able to create a policy to harness the brains of its own AI type of people. So uh, very small, This even Niti Aayog's report mentions this, they all go overseas. The small percentage of the top brains that stay in India end up working for Microsoft India or Google India. They're working for American companies, India subsidiaries, rather than, work, work, uh, rather than for part of the make in India kind of a thing. And so India is exporting raw labor and this raw labor creates assets, intellectual property for foreign enterprises. And then India imports it back. Uh, it, you know, this is how Google became so big. And this is how Facebook became so big. And then we get a small amount of their wealth back and we sell them our equity in Geo. So basically, we are selling brains. They are creating the equity. Then they are using that equity to buy us out. So this is a very bad policy. This is a this is a wrong policy, I think. We, we have not been able to harness brains in order to create our own intellectual property. And in this book, I fault the people who did outsourcing because they took the brains. They did labor arbitrage. They would hire somebody for $10,000 a year and market him for $30,000, make good money. And a lot of people became billionaires overnight and we celebrate them. I don't think that uh, they serve the country because they should have plowed that profit back to build products and technology that is made in India rather than the easy money to sell their labor at a, at a markup. So this business of becoming, uh, you know, I call it tech coolies, supplying this labor force to the world uh, as a matter of pride and all that uh, is short term. You know, you've got to get started by doing this. But at, this, at the same time, once you have money coming in, you have to reinvest the money for, the, for nation building in a very serious way. You know, all these Raphael jets we're buying, all kind of military stuff we're buying, the, what makes them brilliant, what makes them great is the AI. It's, they've got so much AI in, built into these things. And Indians are working in all those places, developing that AI. And then we buy it back for a huge amount of money. This is not sustainable. India cannot go on surviving. India's sovereignty cannot continue uh, based on foreign weapons to protect ourselves. Uh, we have to, and we are selling a lot of raw, raw labor, uh, making some foreign exchange. And then we are using this foreign exchange to buy back the, uh, part, uh, from some of that technology uh, that our own people have built. This is a, this is something the government has to, government and the private sector have to really take a serious look at this whole model of uh, how to use Indian brains in this way. I think you made a very substantial point. And I think, uh, uh, maybe we should devote much more time to it in our next festival. We should actually, you know, curate a discussion around this on how uh, we need to we need to not just leverage Indian brains uh, uh, for getting jobs for themselves, but in order to develop our own capacities. And I think uh, that's the same point yes. which the Prime Minister is also making. And and I think after listening to you, things do get into a little perspective because while we have done. Uh, and, and I would, I really now see the sense of what you're saying that what we've done is good, but what we could have done could have been much greater. So we are sort of compromising ourselves at, at you know, five on ten, whereas we should actually be nine point five on ten. On why not ten on ten? To continue this point, 
China also started by exporting factory labor, which was cheaper than American factory labor. So they could sell, uh, make money on selling cheap labor. But the Chinese took between 25% and 50% of all the profits and invested into futurist technologies. And so they created Alibaba, Tencent, Baidu, Hawaii, all these kind of companies, which are now, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars worth. They're big. These companies are bigger than Tata's. They're bigger than the market capitalization of Reliance. So these companies are like 10 years old in terms of the, the, the growth. They might have existed before as small companies. What China did is they said, on the one hand, we'll have an economy selling cheap labor to the Americans. But then we'll take all this profit that we are getting and we're going to create technology of our own which will leapfrog ahead of the Americans. And they put a ban on Facebook in China, Google, Amazon, to create a market for the local people and said, okay, now you become the trillion dollar companies, Chinese companies, and then you go around the world and that's how we'll become a great power. India didn't do that. India did only the first part, which is to uh, uh, you know, export raw labor at a markup. But then what happened? Those a few people who were big industrialists made tons of money and we celebrated, celebrate them as, you know, wow, they are great guys because they made so much money. But that money was private money. It was not plowed into nation building. I think I, that's a very, very valid point. And, uh, but I think it also means that along with this, we need to have a meta-narrative about a nation. You see, we need to have yes. a meta-narrative about a nation, which, is, which has to extend beyond the political class. It's a meta-narrative that... You and I must believe in it's a meta-narrative which the kids who are now in 10th and 11th and 12th and, and those who are now in Kendriya Vidyala, in government schools, they must own this narrative. They must own this meta-narrative of a new India. Uh, so I'm glad that, that you know, we, and I hope that we are reaching out to, uh, to children and to, and to young students across the country. Uh, and the good thing is that because it's a, it's a recorded and an archive session, I, I, we will try to you know, share it with most of the schools in the country. Uh, now, you know, you mentioned uh, something called the crash of civilizations, as against what we hear, yes. clash of civilizations. And this is going to be my last question because we are running out of time. Uh, so please elaborate on this uh, on this new twist that you've given from clash to crash. Okay, so one of the things I mentioned for the first time in public in your uh, 2019 festival, in my talk was, I did not use this term, but I said that uh, in the future, because of AI, uh, instead of uh, 10 billion population, uh, maybe 1 billion people will be enough to do the work because of robotics, because of automation, because, uh, you know, automated surgery, uh, automated farming, so many things that machines can do better than us. So if if that is the case, then, you know, we'll have a whole lot of surplus people. Because you could say, let's look after these surplus people with augmented reality, virtual reality. They'll sit at home, they'll enjoy life, they'll have robots as servants, and everybody will be happy. But then, you know, the world, the way capitalism works is very selfish. People who are the owners of this technology, who have a concentration of power and wealth, a lot of trillionaires will emerge. So there will be a pyramid of wealth, a pyramid of power, and people who are at the lower end. Uh, they will not be needed because those kind of jobs, it will be like people are useless. Why are we needing them? Why do we want to spend money housing them and subsidizing them? And it's like a overpopulated world. So I feel that civilization will face the dilemma that we have far too many people than we need. 
and this will the, having fewer people maybe through birth control maybe through policies of whatever kind and maybe it will take 50 years to gradually gen, in a very gentle way reduce the population that will not go easy that will not go easy it's not like everybody will volunteer and say okay you know for next 50 years we just automatically lower the population this will shift world power in a way that there will be tremendous violence tremendous violence within countries tremendous violence between countries uh, and i think the concept of what we think of as civilization is going to be hampered there will be a kind of new brutality i use the term depopulation in my talk at the 2019 festival i use the word mm-hmm. depopulation that the world could face the, uh, the that the topic of depopulation will become okay to talk about that maybe there's just too many of us and we are extending the lifespan and as we extend the lifespan using these technologies the population is going to also remain larger because there's more people they live longer and so uh, uh, we can we can augment them with all kind of devices to make them healthier happier but why do we need so many people we the world's work can be done with fewer people so this idea of depopulation i think has to be discussed at some point in time it will be particularly traumatic for overpopulated countries it will be very traumatic for india because you know quite honestly with with enough technology instead of 1.3 billion people for you could run india with 400 500 billion people and have a wonderful country and you won't have to get housing and food and uh, you know all kind of facilities for the bottom half but it is not humane to say okay let's get rid of them it is a dilemma and i think that's the crash of civilization where Uh, we have to figure out a good humanitarian acceptable way uh, to fig- to kind of bring the population down the population has gone way too high in the past 100 years and and uh, uh, bringing it down may take yeah. a very long time so that's the crash of civilization but, but is this not uh, it, it, it's a very refined malthusian argument you know and, and and this clash between the malthusians and the prometheans has always been there So, uh, so let's see how it pans out i do see the but at the same time i would also mention you see that uh, that china you certainly going to have lesser population right that's that's the trend that's happening yes. there within india states like yes. kerala tamil nadu punjab where the population is stabilized or becoming less uh, in fact uh, the one uh, other aspect of this is the the very high growth of urbanization uh, and uh, service related industries and things but but of course there is a lot of merit in your argument and that's what makes the book interesting you know that's what will make the book uh, make us all think and uh, being able to think cogito uh, ergo sum i think therefore i am and uh, therefore we look forward to an absolutely uh, you know I'm, i'm sure all the readers would like to pick up a copy and uh, we look forward to reading it to to discussing it even more and more part of your pen more part of your thoughts and we hope to see you in actual person in the 2021 edition of value words wherever we hold it thank you so much rajiv ji for joining us on the session thank you very much and i look forward to the next opportunity and i would really like to be there in person and enjoy your hospitality one more time <laughs>